From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 812, SQL Q&A from SQL Server and Azure SQL Conference, Fall 2021. Recorded December 2021. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you. This is Richard Camel. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I'm here back in Las Vegas for the Azure SQL and SQL Server Conference. We're at the MGM Grand. It's close to the closing session here. We're doing our twice-a-year Q&A, and I have a throng of enthusiastic participants. And a long collection of miscreants that seem to know something about SQL and, and Azure and so forth. Uh, and maybe we could just do quick introductions going down the line from one end to the other so we know who's here. Yep. Josh Ludeman, uh, Principal Engineer on the Azure Fast Track team. Thanks, Josh. And I'm Buck Woody from Microsoft. Thanks, Buck. Bradley Ball, Azure Fast Track team. Bradley. Chris Tesson-Neal, Principal PM on Data and AI team. Thanks, Chris. Andreas Walter, PM in Azure Secure Security. Thank you. Davide Mauri, PM in Azure SQL. Uh, Pedro Lopes, I'm the architect on SQL 22. Anna Hoffman, title undecided. Mm -hmm. Bob Ward. And Bob Ward, of course. Uh, so we've done this for a while. You've had three amazing days of content for all your data concerns. This, this is a Q&A show, so throw up your hand. If you, I'll come to you, mask on. And I'm going to run. This is my workout. I mean, not that you don't always get a workout at the MGM Grand, because I'm pretty sure the hotel is in a different time zone. Uh, it's like, I've been knocking out 10,000 steps this whole week, and I'm going to put another 10,000 on today, depending on how you time your hands. So if we keep doing the one side of the room to the other side of the room thing, I can say naughty words on my show, just so you know. Uh, how was the show for you? Did you get some good stuff? Anything you haven't gotten answered? Any questions still lingering for you? Have we got a ship date for SQL 22? Oh, yes. We do. we do. Yes. Richard, Richard, this is Bob Ward. You can put me on record. We are going to ship SQL Server 2022 in 2022. That's right. About as close as you're going to get, right? Well done. I can see you're heavily committed to that day, too. It's not like they haven't been able to get there before. And it's going to be much like the last version, right? Much like the last version. Way new. Way new. All sorts of cool stuff. Cloud-connected, built-in query intelligence, Ledger technologies. Did you know, Richard, that in this conference, I tried to hack SQL Server with Buck Woody, and I couldn't do it. Actually, caught me doing it, I guess. I should say that. It's Bob-proof. At least highly Bob-resistant. Yeah, it's Bob-resistant. Yeah. Yeah, like water-resistant, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. There are, there are always points of failure at some point. I spent enough time living in the security land to know, you know, nothing's ultimately impenetrable. But if you make it hard enough, you can probably drive off the bulk of folks. But he caught me. I tried it several times, right? Well, you know, that Buck Woody... He's a tricky guy. Indeed. <laughs> if you're looking for someone doing something sneaky, fucking knows all about it. That's true. Any other pop sessions? What, what were people happy with? Who had, who had the biggest? Big data room? and AI, very popular. Is that the questions like folks are really focused on starting to take advantage of all the data we have yeah. in our organizations? Yeah. Agreed. Yep. Yeah. Well, they're starting to realize they have to do that, and then they're like, "Oh, oh my gosh, what do I do?" So, yeah, they were, they were very popular. Yeah, I think you get real busy too. As yes. soon as you can show pulling value out of the data the company already has, that's right. You're going to get even more questions. I, I can make a comment. Anna? 
we we did see a lot of people excited about developing apps with SQL uh, in the developer side and also on the SQL side. So that was kind of exciting. Well, this is the Intersections Conference, right? Yep. So, yep. I mean, you're all experienced speakers. You've done this a bunch of times, and it's always fun to talk to somebody new, right? We we cross over. We and we've got the M365 folks here this time. Like, there's a lot of crossing over. People just that have not seen that content before, don't know what's going on on that side. And so, yeah, it's great to have the devs sitting in on the data side. And yeah, maybe we can have a friendly conversation about Entity Framework. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Don't get carried away. All right, yeah, don't hope for too much. Uh-oh, there's a troublemaker at the back of the room. So pretty excited about all the Azure integrations, really cool stuff. But what's, what's really big and new in the engine itself? For 2022. Okay, Bob, that's your sweet spot, buddy. You or Pedro, one of the two of you. You did the deep dive, man. Somebody did a session on this. Yeah. Like uh, an hour ago. I kind of did. The, the thing, we don't have two hours now. Uh, there have we go. seven minute answers. Someone start a timer. No, okay. Uh, just, just, the, just one in each of the four major areas I talked about today. Um, so, a storage engine, one of the big things there would be we have a, um, for example, ability to do snapshot backup using T-SQL. So we no longer have dependency on VSS. That opens up for you. Uh, you're able to do snapshot backups even in Linux, for example. Um, if you look at the relational engine aspect, I mean, we've been, we've been harping intelligent query processing to, to death almost. Um, but uh, parameter-sensitive plan optimization for me, it's still the, the highlight of the of the release. But there are many others. Like we, we're literally trying to get uh, uh, query tuning in a box. Um, uh, just natively, you don't have to be an expert and it just works for you. Um, availability, well, MI-Link being the big thing in, in my perspective that, that will change the game in a lot of ways, both from migration perspective to the cloud and also uh, just failover using the cloud as well. And what else? Security, uh, Ledger, yes, I mean, everyone saw Bob and Buck's demo uh, in, in the uh, keynote yesterday. That was not only a great demo, but it really shows the power of... Uh, Something that's Bob-proof is really, really powerful. <laughs> Nothing is Bob-proof, only Bob-resistant. I would like so to add, even though it's all very cool, but it doesn't matter if you can get hacked, right? So that's why I would like to point out another feature in security. We are really kind of revitalizing the permission system, kind of rewriting. So from then on, you will be able to control permissions from outside of SQL Server. That is a lot of work. So all the permission checks in SQL Server will have an additional check coming from outside. Are you, are you seeing pressure for sort of new security viewpoints coming out of the zero trust movement for cloud? Like, Absolutely. Does yeah. that shape the way you think about security and SQL servers? Well? It really does. Um, the, the zero trust model is the new cool kids thing to do for security. As the landscape's just so big, you cannot trace an entire application path. Uh, so zero trust basically means I'm going to you know enforce my part and I'm going to believe that I've been breached already. And I'm also going to make sure the thing that is talking to me, I don't trust it. And it allows a very safe environment. So I think zero trust is something that uh, we're focused on a lot. And we put a lot of it in the database. By the way, you were one minute and 17 seconds. Uh, so that's rookie numbers. We've got to bump those numbers yeah, up. I mean, okay? No, I won't get I'm into not done yet. I'm record. not done yet. Right? Yeah, no. <laughs> so the second piece of the what comes in, what is relevant for the permission uh, improvement is that we all need to do it at scale, right? You don't have a single individual SQL Server or database. You need to single across your whole subscription. And that's what's being tackled with this improvement. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're living with a lot of zero trust stuff just and sort of getting people to fall into this. And that really speaks to this next issue, which is 
we run our own SQL servers our own way. There's this cloud product out there, and we're just trying to bridge the gap between the two. Because I think the security model is part of that. They're different from each other. Not a lot of SA, no password stuff going on in the cloud these days. Can I make a question to the audience? Go ahead. Let's try to revert. So uh, how many of uh, you would define yourself mainly as developer? I am probably one on. Okay. Wow. So what do you think uh, it's missing from SQL Server of Azure SQL to make it perfect? Like what, what you are really saying, oh, man, if I could have this. Or, yeah, okay. So, oh, yeah, yeah, please, please. That's great. Long-time listener, first-time caller. So um, the, bi the biggest thing I think right now that I'm seeing as adoption blocker is there hasn't been a lot of love to the developer feature area. So when you guys pulled CLR out of Azure SQL DB, that's a blocker. And then you guys haven't improved the, the feature area. So like things like regular expression parsing and all these things that I'd have to rely on CLR till today, I have no alternative. And managed instance isn't viable for a lot of my customers for a variety of reasons. So I understand, I think, sorry, um, regular expression, I think I missed the first uh, request. Yeah, so C CLR. Oh, CLR. CLR. Okay. Yeah, so big gap in Azure SQL yeah, DB, right, and in Synapse and other areas, obviously, but it's it's an adoption blocker, like it forces me to do VM or managed instance, right? So uh, a question here, how much important is for you to add that feature in the engine? What if that feature is outside the engine, you can call it? Would that be good enough? I'm asking this to understand how a latency you are, um, you know, uh, open to get, uh, to get maybe not only C Sharp, but Python, Node, Go, Julia, whatever language in future. It's got to live in the query engine, right? It's got, I got to have the code to work on the data where it sits, not, not push it out to operate on it and push it back in. Okay. Any, could anyone else? another regex parser, because that would be fun. So all he's asking for is regex. I once had a problem. I solved it with regex, then I had two problems. Oh, wait. Oh, I could have said that about SharePoint, didn't I? I won't go there. Sorry, another question? Over there. Are we really Richard, do the Richard regex thing? is for people who can't learn a T-SQL. There you go, sir. So one of the things uh, when we migrated to Azure SQL that we found out is a, a lot of the UIs that we were using in Management Studio no longer work, like setting up new users, creating an index, things like that. Are you planning on bringing that back to the UI, or is it just going to be T-SQL for now? So you're talking about using uh, SSMS connecting to Azure SQL database specifically. Um, some of those basic features still should be there, like creating an index. I'm not aware of that not working. Uh, users, we've done that in our workshops before. So, uh, I mean, I haven't checked in a while, but last time I, I checked, you couldn't create users that way. You had to do it manually, same okay. thing with indexes. and. I don't remember all the different switches and stuff, and having those in the nice UI was always. I mean, one nice thing's for sure that Object Explorer pivots when you use Azure SQL Database because you're working with just the database and not the instance. But some of the basic features for users and indexes, I thought I've used that myself personally, but I'll make a personal check on that to make sure it's there. Anyone else? Thanks for being nearby. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Uh, so, from the developer point of view, it will be nice if uh, we can have an option to. A display option somewhere when we're running our queries to be able to help us understand how to tune those queries, right? Right now you have to go there and maybe enable the query plan, but the reality is that most of our developers are not familiar with that feature. You know, most of the developers coming from college, they barely know SQL. Uh, they don't know much of the tool. They don't know how to get to those areas. So it would be very nice if as, as we type in the query, the UI actually help us understand. Okay, so like a clippy version of Bob Word, basically. 
Okay, yeah. Right, um, sadly. Well, we have, we have something. No, no, yeah, you go, because we have something. We have the, you know, the, all, all the intelligent feature. I mean, so you probably want to. Do you know about the automatic indexing feature for Azure SQL Database? Uh, yeah. I mean, is that part of what want you want, or you want more intelligence for just typing, you know, writing good queries? Yeah, more like an intelligence, right? Like, as you type, it helps you, you know, make the right decisions, right? You mean as far as like not scanning a table and making sure you have a where clause and that kind of type of stuff? I mean, what, what exactly do you mean by that? No, if, if you're missing an index, right, for example? Sure. Uh, oh. It would be nice to know right away, uh, you know, based on the recommendations that you may get. Uh, I don't know, maybe... Uh, well, know. just for a quick one thing about that is that that's just been in SQL for a long time. Like you can type in a query, do an estimate of a plan, and it can tell you might, there might be missing index. That's just been there. Right. But so I not while you're typing the query, but it could, by looking at right. just estimated plan, you can get that type of graphical interface in Management Studio. Right. But you have to go there, right? I mean, it will be sure. if you can get that on the fly, you know, just for okay. any query, you know, maybe disa okay. maybe disable that feature, you don't want it. Do you think that should be more in something like Azure Data Studio or Visual Studio, by the way, some of those kind of tips? I know Visual Studio, we do have some tips involved in, in Visual Studio with, with SQL. I've seen that. Have you seen the tips? There's some of that stuff's in there. I don't know if it's exactly what you're talking about, but would you, just out of curiosity, would you rather see that in the Visual Studio interfaces versus Management Studio? Because it feels like it's a developer play, right? No, I haven't seen those, I think. Okay. Also, you have something in Azure SQL because uh, uh, we provide a kind of a performance uh, insight yep. where you can see all the queries and see what query maybe is consuming more uh, than the other, and then you can go... It's a starting point. Doesn't really tell you, you know, change this workloads to make it better. It's uh, not yet there. But yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's in the portal. Yes, but I'm interested to see in the IntelliSense yeah, no, part no, of it. I, yeah. I got it, but just as a workaround for now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, SSMS is a great tool. I just feel like it will be a, a great addition, right, to have that. Okay. Kind of mm -hmm. visuals to yeah. So let, let's keep in mind that um, in what relates to the tool space, SSMS was born as a DBA tool. Right. It's mostly a DBA tool. Developer experiences have been uh, been tailored more in ADS Azure Data Studio, and they will they will keep up they will keep popping up there. Um, so definitely we'll take that feedback. Yeah. But um, just wanted to kind of shift the attention towards if it's a developer tool, if it's native to SQL only, that would be ADS or the data space only. But like Bob said and others, uh, Visual Studio uh, that to that you already have um, some specific experiences for, for development. A couple of final thoughts on that just to, to bring this in. There are some third-party vendors we have, some in attendance, that have some really great tools that let you zoom in and see queries that are running long, and they will give you suggestions and so on. Really great partners. I would definitely recommend you check some of those out. That'd be thing number one. Thing number two is uh, indexes are sort of like the watering can in a bonsai tree. It's the easiest way to keep it alive, and it's the easiest way to kill it. Uh, so it's very careful. I, I, I'm very careful looking at something that says, oh, you're missing an index. For that query, sure, right? And so you could put it on, and in isolation, it's great. And then when it interacts with other queries, now that index becomes a burden because you're having to update it and so on. So those are very dangerous advices to give. What we recommend is what Bob and the crew has been saying is basically look at your long-running queries. And we do have lots of tools to zoom in on that to find out how you might want to refactor that. Final piece, uh, so third parties are great uh, partners of ours. Look at the queries that are running long. And the third thing is an interesting tool called the Database Experimentation Wizard, uh, which is often used for upgrades. 
but it'll let you compare a query, and often it will let you zoom in and see, hey, this query's running like this. It's kind of bad anyway. You might want to think about these other things. Right, I, and I think one of the easiest ways is uh, eliminate the key, lo key lookups, right? Maybe you have an index already, but you're missing the includes uh, in, as part of the index. So maybe that recommendation is something that yeah, is an easy way. Yeah, lots of those right? that could be there for sure. It's, it's, even that recommendation is not a, it's not a blanket recommendation. Uh, you, can, you can still kill your query's performance with, oh, right? by going all out with the include clause. Because that's, that's, that's copying your data to a different structure. So if you also... If you start going all, all out there with uh, indexes that can cover every small edge scenario, then you're, first of all, you're duplicating your data, literally, in terms of storage use. You have a lot more overhead, like Buck said, updating, just upkeeping the, the index. So every recommendation is just a rule of thumb. Your mileage always varies. Also, so, and I think you developed a, a script uh, to make easier to see all the missing indexes, right? So that's, stuff. yeah. So that, that's something, if you don't uh, know about this script, it's a SQL Tiger toolbox, right? And you're probably going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, but, <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we have a, a toolbox GitHub repo that has a lot of um, scripted tools and whatnot. There's one there that's called the best practices uh, checks. Um, in terms of um, uh, SQL modules and it will, and even uh, cached plans, it will look at your plans and it will find a number of potential inefficiencies and uh, will provide you with some uh, insights or tips on what you should could do to improve a part of them. For example, yeah. well, that would be great. That's a good starting point. It's not like it will give you the final solution. It will start, it will help you to get started on the correct path instead of just, you know, wandering in the dark. That's, yeah. yeah we saw some, we, we saw some demos, uh, during the keynotes about, uh, GitHub copilot, things like that. And I suddenly got this vision of somebody writing an inline query and then being able to have a wizard like that that said, Hey, let me show you what this looks like as a parameterized query or as a call to a stored procedure. And here's what the stored procedure would look like. You know, often as developers, we only know so much about talking to databases. So the fact that there's a bunch of different ways, some that are faster, some that are more secure, that maybe this tooling, this new generation tooling that's starting to emerge using some of those AI technologies to say, hey, let me give you four refactorings depending on what your needs are. Speed, security, you know, consistency of data, like all of those kinds of things. Just because a lot, of, it's hard to find that data. It's scattered all over the place. And if the tools can put it to us right in front of us when we're writing code, that's pretty compelling. It's also not really your job, right? I don't know who does the data tool part of Studio because some of this stuff's really great. But as they're moving ahead with more, uh, you know, going beyond IntelliSense, it'd be great to make sure the data tools went that way too. And it's important to also say that we rely on a partner ecosystem. Um, like you said, our business is not to create tools. Yes, we create tools because you need tools to interact with the data and whatnot, but we rely on on our on yeah. our partner ecosystem, and even Azure Data Studio with the, all the extensions. It's a living proof of that. Yeah. There's numerous extensions there that were developed by partners precisely to address specific niches, niche scenarios. There. Yeah, they call them extensions for a reason. Anybody can build them if they work hard enough at it. I'll pass it along to you. Question. Yep. 
Do you have any statistics of how much of the SQL load is currently running in the cloud versus like on-prem? And do you have any kind of prediction like where that is going? Like when will we see majority in cloud or is that already the case? And then how does one react to that in terms of skills development as a DBA or developer? Yes, we have those numbers. Um, <laughs> and I would be looking for work if I told you what those are. The, there, there's a propensity of people moving to cloud and we're going to see things on premises forever. For the data professional, I, I we go through this quite a bit. You know, what does the DBA do now if the database is in the cloud? And the the answer is you focus on your job because you're you don't want to focus on HA and DR and backups and recovery. That's you want to focus on getting value out of that data. And so your your job is elevating up. And in fact, we've got some members of our team here who are actually on the certification team who study this for a living, Chris. Um, so I own the certifications for data and AI, and basically what we do is we go through quite a robust process of collecting information from the market, from various trusted sources, and we also invite a bunch of subject matter experts into Redmond where we undertake what's called a job task analysis. And this can take months, and effectively we get we try to get a diverse mix of people as possible, so we don't necessarily just invite people who are in to the cloud. We also invite the on-premises as well. As a result of that, we have a number of certifications that have been derived in the data and AI space. And I think the one that may be of interest to you is the Azure Database Administrator. And the decision points that we came to with that was a lot of the necessary skills to be an Azure Database Administrator um, also uh, similar to what you need to be an on-premises database administrator. So even if you do have on-premise servers only, it is well worth pursuing that certification and its associated content. So A, you can validate your own skills and whether you have those skills, but you also learn what you don't know as well. And we refresh that every three months with the new market information. So. Um, I, I can't share a ton of numbers, but I can share some numbers on, you know, how many people are moving to the cloud and how fast are people moving to the cloud and what's that growing like. Um, today, we currently have about 5 million databases running across Azure SQL database and Azure SQL managed instance and somewhere close to half a million of SQL virtual machines. So we got a lot of stuff running SQL Server and Azure, a lot of customers running in Azure today. Um, and if we just think about Azure SQL Database and Azure SQL Managed Instance, uh, from a databases perspective, we've seen about a 50% growth in the number of databases in just the past year. Um, and we've kind of seen this like really large year-over-year -year growth. Uh, so I would say, yeah, people are moving to the cloud. Uh, even you can go look at some of the market research that's been got done by Gartner and other um, third-party companies and and they're estimating that a lot more is going to come to the cloud in the next couple years and the share of on-prem versus cloud is going to continue uh people are going to continue to put their stuff in the cloud um but yeah there are some research studies you can read as well uh, it's got to be challenging them. to have visibility into all the on-prem servers too like it's not that's not a simple thing for you to know on-prem servers tend to live behind firewalls you'd hope true so yes we we don't have clear telemetry on what comes from, from on-premises, sure. Um, what, what Anna is saying can also be put into the perspective that um, people moving to the cloud doesn't mean that they're necessarily abandoning everything they have in their own data centers. 
going to a hybrid approach is very much what we're seeing in the last uh, couple of years at least. There are, there are systems, there are uh, applications that make sense when they're born to be in the cloud or to be in a hybrid environment. Uh, for example, using Arc, that's, that's the, the latest innovation in that perspective. But we still have, we still have growth in, on premises as well. I mean, there's, it's not, it's not like we're growing in the cloud or the cloud is growing and therefore everyone is abandoning their own data centers. There's a mix of that. The data market is growing as a whole. So one of the things I wanted to say was I do a session sometimes where I do deep dives on internals um, or I'll, I'll do fundamental practices that DBAs need to know. And I absolutely love doing that and I'll hide my instance the entire time. Um, and then I'll show that the whole time I was on a managed instance or I was on a VM Docker container running on Arc or I was on an Azure SQL database because there's fundamental practices that you do on-prem that you learn on-prem, how to optimize code, how indexes work, um, distribution patterns for tables, for queries. And, and then what you need to understand on the cloud side is really that um, there is no hardware. It's kind of like the matrix. You think that's air you're breathing. There's not a network card. It's hardware as software written on top of a platform. And so part of it is just figuring out the little nuances of scaling up, scaling down, and then selecting the right tool. Um, but all of the, the useful knowledge that you have amassed as a database administrator, understanding how to tune a query workload, is very much of value in the cloud. Um, there's, there's no cloud where there's not DBAs. Uh, you're, you're never going to, you know, end that career. There are segments of the DBA job that, as someone who was a production DBA for years, are absolutely awful. Um, patching servers, you know, working over the weekend as we do server migrations or as we upgrade to the latest version. Um, well, now I don't have to worry about backups filling because we didn't have disk drive space. There's a lot of space in the cloud. I don't have to worry about um, taking my weekend to patch uh, because it's an evergreen version in a PaaS service. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to get some of the functionality in a PaaS service before other people get it when it actually rolls out with SQL 2022. So the, the nice thing is uh, Ted Lasso, great show, right? There's a wonderful saying for that. Uh, for every disadvantage, there is an advantage. Well, the disadvantage is I don't have the physical hardware on-prem that I can wrap my hands on. The advantage of that is I don't have the physical hardware on-prem that I have to wrap my hands around and, you know, miss things with the kids and work weekends. So a lot of the skills that a DBA have transition beautifully to the cloud. Uh, and I think that's one of the key things to keep in mind is what you've got I haven't got found a valuable. DBA that's made it to the bottom of the to-do list yet. <laughs> whether they're in the cloud or not. Let me just add, I'm glad you asked that question because I know customers want some guidance from us on where are things going. If you'll just look at our investments that we've made recently, it does tell you it's an and play. We wouldn't release SQL Server 2022 and announced it, we're going to release it, without us thinking there's still an area of growth there. We actually wouldn't invest in things like Arc if we didn't think that we needed to bring Azure technologies to on-premises for customers to say they still need their deployments there. So it definitely is an and play. And you, if you look at the investments we make as a company, it gives you guidance where we still think there are growth areas. But you look at all the Azure SQL stuff we're doing at the same time, it's kind of made our job a little fun and more difficult, right, to, to do all that stuff. Without a doubt. And with that, I have to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open source software for disaster relief organizations. One of the leading projects called Two Weeks Ready helps individuals, families, and communities prepare for disasters using smartphones. HDBox builds and operates this and other applications on behalf of a variety of disaster response organizations, and they need your help. Go to htbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. 
HGBOX is a 501c3 U.S. registered charity. Your donations help support the creation of this life-saving software. Thanks. And we're back. It's Ron Radio. I'm here at the MGM Grand for the Azure SQL and SQL Server Conference. We're having our Q&A session. I have a question right here. All right. I've talked to maybe one or two of you about this already. Um, I currently support many multi-terabyte databases. And one of the features that came out in 2016 that could probably help with that would be the stretch database feature. Now, Stretch has some issues uh, in its current form. Um, the first one is it's cloud only. You only can, you can't stretch on-prem uh, or to your existing system. And I'm not sure if you can even stretch within Azure, the current system, to, without going through the stretch process. The second thing is, is that the cost of storing data with stretch is many more times than I pay for for example, an instance, a standard instance within SQL Server. Um, do you have any comments on that, uh, where we're going in the future? Um, is it, is it going to stay the way it is? Because um, I think it would be a really great thing for almost automated partitioning of larger databases. I remember today, Richard, when it was just me from Microsoft here with Paul and Kim. That was at the fun days. I'll take that on. We did talk a little bit, and I'll just tell for the entire audience. We've heard exactly that feedback you've said about stretch, about price point, and so forth. We've also heard it can be potentially a popular technology. We're st I'd just be real transparent. We're still evaluating what to do with it. You know, should we still keep that as a cloud technology? Should we still continue to invest in it? Should we make it an on-prem on investment? So I appreciate you giving the feedback. Pedro and I have already given the feedback directly to our team about that kind of type of question, but there's nothing right now that I can tell you for sure we have firm plans to do to enhance it or to put it on-prem today. So I have a couple of specific questions. Uh, is the query store now supported in, repli in any replicated database in uh, SQL Azure? Yeah, so that uh, that is also coming. Um, the we are investing in query store support for secondaries. Uh, I've been discussing that in the scope of SQL Server 2022. But query store is a fundamental um, piece in our in all our intelligent database uh, roadmap. So definitely the ability to have insight over um, queries and workload that's specific to a certain replica that sh that will be made available everywhere. It makes sense. Oh, that's great news. Thank you. Uh, the other question I have is uh, Elastic Queries. So um, they, we use it a lot in SQL Azure, but obviously there's a drawback about, uh, you know, the estimated count always being one. Uh, is that something that we're going to address so you mean elastic client, right? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's going to be like, uh, you know, Capitas is, is a, like a mature uh, technology. So you will be still able to use it. But uh, um, at the moment, we are not doing any investment on that. And so it works. Uh, if you want to use it, uh, you know, yeah, go for it. Uh, but yeah, at the moment, it's just what it is right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, in terms of Indus recommendations, uh, is there any, I mean, we talk about, about this briefly in my mm -hmm. previous question, but, uh, is there any, any time that you want to ignore those recommendations? <laughs> Coming out of where? Cause we do have, we have the assessment API that Bob, uh, discussed during his VM session, for example. Um, 
We have performance insights that you can uh, see in the Azure portal that are coming precisely from uh, calculation uh, recommendations coming out of the query store, for example. When do you want to ignore them? We even have the auto-indexing service that will try on indexes for you, and then if they don't work, we roll back. Mileage varies everywhere, so and, and best practices are rule of thumb everywhere. We try to be as precise as we can in terms of if, if you have a recommendation, this is coming from something we observed in your workload or in your environment, but you deploying it, using it, monitoring closely, and then making a decision based on your own observations is still, is still the status quo. We're, we're working towards uh, feedback systems that will allow us to uh, experiment something, and then if it really doesn't work, pull it back. It already works with indexing service. We're working inside the engine to do some, some aspects like that. But it's a roadmap. We're not there yet. This applies to anything with any software, right? Anybody who's going to give you insights or recommendations, I mean, it's recommendations. It's an assistance. Vulnerability assessments, the insights he's talking about, some best practices. One of the reasons why, like, vulnerability assessments gives you a baseline option. Hey, those five that you said based on an industry benchmark doesn't apply to me. So I'm going to go mark those as a baseline, and we won't scan those again. So I would just tell you that, you know, that's a little bit why you still need your expertise and advice per the workload. That's what he's trying to say. Per your workload and your business, does that really still apply to me? We're going to try to take a more holistic approach, as you can imagine, to apply to a lot of different businesses and workloads where it's you to try to take those insights and decide to apply. Where does it apply to me? Where does it? Missing index is a great example for yours, right? Those DMVs. You, anybody in the community will just tell you, wholesale, do not just go accept exactly what they say. But if you look at what we do in automatic indexing for Azure Database, we do a machine learning approach there. So we watch your workload over time to give those recommendations to take that into account, plus what's in the query store, to make smarter decisions. So just want to complete the, the answer on the Elastic Client Library. Um, so the library was born in a time where, uh, you know, database were, you know, big, but not bigger like now. And it was hard to handle, I don't know, 50 terabytes single database. So that's why you wanted to shard. Uh, today, uh, unless at least if you want to move to Azure and you're thinking of using it in Azure, with hyperscale, you can handle 100 terabytes database. So I don't know your scenario, but if you were using the Elastic Library to shard database, to make the database more manageable, because in the past it wasn't, you know, easy to handle 10 terabytes or 50 terabytes database, and you are looking to move to Azure, I would say the, the probably the best place right now to be is hyperscale. Um, On-premises, of course, it's another story. Elastic queries is for creating. Oh, so you are referring to Elastic Query because yes. there are several technologies. So I was referring to Elastic Client. Elastic Query, I think we deprecated quite a lot ago, long ago. Who knows about that? Elastic Query is the ability, if I remember correctly, to create a sort of a linked server from Azure SQL or for, for example, Azure Data Warehouse and query an Azure SQL. But I think it was deprecated uh, many years ago. Well, it's still working for us, but... You know, of course, yeah, we don't remove yeah, stuff, one, but I think it was deprecated. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Um, yeah. Okay, so... I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard it depends in there. I mean, but you bring up the real salient point. It's like, you know your workload. And you guys provide some great tools to help us know our workloads, but ultimately... You're recommending at a very generalized level, and recommendations should only be so precise. So it's great that we have those recommendations and we look at our workloads and have to assess, does that make sense for us? Is that going to make a difference for us or not? We're working towards making that ever more, ever more automated, ever more precise towards your workload. But yes, it, we're still yeah, likely sure. years away from getting that, that north star. I mean, I was always a big believer in, in leaving query analysis on my production database as long as I could, but that was typically minutes 
before the you know the IT guys were freaking out of the overhead that it was adding. Now that it's your servers in the cloud, leave it on, please. Not my problem. But that's why I think one of the reasons your AI tools are getting better and better is you're seeing my entire utilization of my database over long periods of time. You can learn things I could never afford to learn. Listen, all, all the investments we're doing currently in intelligent query processing, every single one is derived out of observations we've had over Azure telemetry and interacting with customers and support cases. It's all data-driven. We're not we're going after the scenarios that you've seen hit the 80% case. And then, yes, there will always be outliers. We'll try to tackle those when and if needed. But th that's what drives our approach. It's looking at what's what's really needed, what's really happening. And what's based on what's actually happening. Yes. No, I, I really appreciate that. All right, next question. So two quick items. Um, we have a hyperscale uh, with a read replica. Uh, in the Azure portal, it does have a graph showing the statistics, the usage, uh, I.O., everything. Uh, it would be wonderful to be able to drill into the primary or the read replica there uh, and see the performance instead of the aggregate of both. Uh, the second item is uh, with Azure SQL doesn't have um, the SQL agent, and so we've used the Elastic Jobs. Uh, that was interesting to set up. Um, are there any plans for some future tooling around that uh, to make that setup a little bit easier? So the first question on replicas. Um, so I guess you are referring to what we call a high availability replica. So you create an hyperscale and you have uh, up to four replicas behind the scene, right? So those replicas are uh, almost invisible from the portal. Um, we have created something called named replicas that has exactly to address, among other things, also that problem. So if you create a named replica, it actually shows like a, like a database. So you can connect it, uh, see in the portal, see the statistics, see the usage, uh, anything like it would behave in a, a normal database. Uh, so look at named replicas if you are doing read-only workload uh, and you really want to have a replica that can be monitored, uh, uh, managed by the portal. And so that's the first uh, point. Uh, the second one uh, uh, was about what? Sorry, I just... Oh, the elastic, elastic jobs, yeah. So we're working on making it better. That's what I can tell you. Uh, definitely, we got this feedback that... It, and I tried myself. It's not exactly the most friendly things to set up. So we are working to make sure we can, um, you know, bring it to a modern experience, definitely. I yeah. think uh, just to add on to that, because um, I've worked with Elastic Jobs as well, but I would also ask you to check out things like Azure Runbooks or Azure Automation, because that's being invested in heavily by Microsoft as a company to help you do things that you could do with Elastic Jobs. Um, so that might be something uh, to take advantage of, and you're going to be able to do essentially the same things that you can do with Elastic Jobs with Azure Automation or Azure Runbooks. And I wouldn't overlook Azure Data Factory. Um, it's not just to move things, uh, data and so on. It can do the activities there. there there's a lot of activities and it has schedules and it has reporting and it has uh, fail uh, steps and all that, things that would be very familiar to you with an agent, uh, using an agent. Uh, Azure Data Factory can do that and, and then it gives you the ability to do other things as well. Uh, so you can actually expand your jobs, Azure functions and so on. So I, I wouldn't look past the power of Azure Data Factory as an automation engine, not just a pipeline. Excellent, next question. I have uh, one uh, request that on always on read replica, you can't create additional indexes. Now, when we create 
always on read-only replicas that are mainly for reporting or queries that users want to do. And if we cannot create additional indexes there, you have to create index on the primary, which we don't want because we want the right to go fast. So is there anything in that? Yes, um, you're right. So the read-only replicas remain read-only. Um, even something like creating specific statistics for, for queries that that don't have statistics and we need to compile them. We do so in the TempTB. We currently have no solution to create specific indexes that you only want to see on the secondary. I would urge you in this case to go to aka.msswack SQL feedback. If it's not already there, because I don't quite recall that request as being on a list, add that. Let's see what, what your fellow developers and DBAs say about that. It's something that we need, we need to really accrue a, a better understanding of uh, how widespread is that requirement. To then kind of go. The purpose of read-only replica, you know. I'm sorry, I, you need to repeat. If that. I want to read, if I want to get the data out faster, I want to create more indexes, and I don't want it, you know, to uh, the performance impact on my. I, I conceptually understand the scenario perfectly. I'm just saying that uh, we we have we have so many things to do. I would love to have to have the five thousand engineers to go and do everything we 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 could, but but we don't. So we need to be very 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 purposeful of, with the investments that we do. And part of it is like we were saying before, we are data data driven. Part of that is also uh, understanding the feedback coming from customers and and how prevalent a certain scenario is. I mean, we've seen this happen when you've got a great feedback entry like that, and a lot of people pile on it all of a sudden. Like it kind of comes out of nowhere, and suddenly it's ranking up pretty quickly. And I don't know if folks that are out in the field necessarily know this, but I've certainly seen it happen. Like you all read that thing. Like it's in every meeting. It's a conversation point. That is data from customers. Precisely. All right. Precisely. That's the way to go. Make some of that happen. All right. Next question. All right, so in the T-SQL language, uh, has there ever been a thought to maybe add the idea of a constant variable? What I mean is that um, in a scenario where basically you're creating a stored procedure and you want to actually use a value again and actually get it to treat it like a literal, for instance, like let's say get date, if I actually declare it at the top and then use it that variable throughout, I actually get a way worse plan than if I just use get date throughout, right? Um, from a coding practice like that, starts to be very difficult to like maintain because you're just like, well, why shouldn't I be able to just create a constant basically at the top that I want to use throughout the execution of a query? Is there so you're talking about a, we have a global variable that you could set that will persist through transactions. So, so how do you actually declare that then, I guess? You just declare it as a global variable and it will carry all the way through. It's right in T-SQL. Oh, okay. So you already have then a constant, basically. At this point? Yeah, yeah. You you can you can do temporaries that'll only last the transaction, and you can do globals that will. But last I think it's, it's referring back to the quality of the resulting plan. Oh, the quality yes. of the resulting plan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and the short answer is uh, no. There, there's there's no way to to achieve what you're saying in the sense that either it's because the function that you're using is non-deterministic, so therefore it can take uh, even using the same data set and the same parameter, it can still yield a different result. That's that's one. We always keep certain calculations to runtime. The other one has to do with if you're using a variable. Yes, you may have a global variable and whatnot. But if you, if you do the, that technique that I just mentioned, for us, it's still a runtime only construct. We, we can't optimize in, in compile time because we, we could, we could, could rat hole into a di whole different uh, area of bad plans. So the long, 
this is the long answer towards we don't have that specific scenario covered. It's another one I would request you to go to aka.ms for SQL feedback and, and describe well your scenario there. And let's see how, uh, where it goes in terms of getting, uh, accruing votes from the community. Okay. How, how widespread that, that scenario is. Thank Pedro, you. would a table valued parameter get past that? It's still, it's still not the same because even though, even though we, we step back the compilation process when you do at TVF is referring to a singleton constant yeah, value yeah, that would yeah. be. You're not going to have that across yeah. transactions. Yep. It's a feature request essentially. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, it's an interesting problem because I'm, of course, immediately thinking about the way your query processor works and like when you put get data in, it knows what that's going to be. It's a little more deterministic for it than there will be a variable here. Hope for the best. So you guys have done some great work in scalability and growing the engine over time. And, you know, you've added some resumable pause things, which are really nice to help us handle larger workloads. You know, gentlemen over here, multiple terabyte databases, plenty of my customers are in that spot as well. But there are operations we perform in deployments that cause us lots of problems across time. Have you given any thought to versions of the schema so that we could get to zero downtime deployments, which is something we can't do very well right now? Which touches the engine, the security pokes, right? There's a lot of things there. And Oracle's doing that. That doesn't really tell me Come anything. on, Mr. Lopes. Um, so um, I, I think I understand the scenario. It's we, we don't have an easy answer for that. And no, we're not. Uh, we don't have a native way for you to uh, have zero downtime deployments based on version schemas, if that's what you're asking for, right? Um, you say you have that with a lot of your customers, and that's, I mean, I'm not challenging that. that, that Absolutely, right? Like, if, if I do anything that touches data, like, uh, right, I can add a column to a table without a problem. But if I have to add a not null column, that's a significant change. And if I have to add that transactional, that's a substantial delay. So mm -hmm. deployments are not taking seconds or minutes, but could take tens of minutes or hours on large databases, which is a problem, right? It's a problem in the Synapse data warehouse world. It's a problem in the relational OLTP world as well. We, we have, we have invested in a few workarounds for certain parts of those scenarios. For example, with certain operations that they can wait at low priority, for example, and operations that you can pause and resume later. Uh, those are the, the current workarounds that we have possible and the ones that we have been adding precisely because we, we can't address the entire space all at once. I'll, I'll, I'll just be frank about that. But for the most prevalent scenarios that folks really call out to, we have been trying to address in that fashion. Um, it's Steve, it's another one that I would ask you to accrue votes from the community. I haven't seen that specifically. We've also been working on a few things I can't disclose that will have an effect on that scenario. But for now, what we have is let's... Uh, alleviate the blocking that's potentially coming out of those types of deployments. Let's um, with with weighted low priority or with um, with pause and resume, for example. So we heard backup is is uh, able to be done in 2022 with SQL MI. So we, we can restore a backup from MI into SQL 2022. Or is that going to propagate to other things other than SQL MI? We're going to get that in Azure SQL DB and 
hyperscale and those kind of things where we can do back and forth? David, I don't know if you what you say. I don't know of any plans right now for us to consider doing native native restore, native backups and restores in Azure DB. Right now, it's just specific to MI, right? Especially, so there is no, right? no, no plan for that, especially for hyperscale since the architecture is so different. that. Uh, so we still take the backup for you, but yeah, for now, there is no way to export it. So um, it's great with SQL Server that you have multiple re-replica. But the question I've always had was, is there any plans to do some form of multi-master configuration where you can... You know, Pedro, you just grabbed the bike right away from him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he couldn't wait to answer. Oh, you, you said the magic words. So you're talking about a scenario where you can have multiple writable, rep writable replicas of your database. Start a timer. So uh, with SQL Server 2019 CU13, we released um, a scenario for peer-to-peer -peer replication, which is based on Last Writer Wins, which is essentially um, a essentially unlocking a modern version of a multi-write uh, replication. You have one database that you can have multiple geolocalized copies. They all they all will remain in sync. Um, updates and inserts. Uh, are working with a last writer wins uh, algorithm that's based on UTC time. Deletes always win in this scenario still, but right now that capability is completely available. And with automatic conflict detection, that's part of Absolutely. the whole Absolutely, automatic yeah. conflict detection and resolve, so it's completely available right now. And in 2022 right as well. 19, and in yeah. SQL 2022, not only will that be available as well, because it's now in 2019 CU13, but we're also working in uh, because the functionality was delivered in SQL 2019, we're working on uh, some uh, performance aspects related to this scenario. So, great question. The answer is soon? The answer is it's there. It's there already. Yeah, it's there. But it'll get even better with 2022. So, old name, peer-to-peer, -peer, but cool new stuff. That's it. It's really multi-master. It's awesome. What's the feature's name? It's called, uh, if you, if you look for multi-write replication, we've blogged about this, there's, there's announcements, you can't miss it. Just look for multi-write replication. Kevin blogged about it. Yeah. All right, question. Um, SQL Server on containers, where do you see the use case for that apart from me, like, using that for a preview, watching a preview without having to install it, but, like, in, the, in a real production shop? So the question is about SQL Server containers. So I'll, I'll say a few comments, and I'll let Mr. Woody chime in a little as well, because he spends time in this space. You know, one of the things I sell people on containers alone is a dev scenario, not as much production. It can be used for production. We have customers doing that with Kubernetes. But get rid of your dev servers, man. I mean, if you're a SQL Server administrator and you're tired of developers like Richard Campbell blowing up your 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 dev SQL servers, you just don't never. want him to mess with that. You really, containers are this consistent image of SQL Server, right? Great perfect story is Buck and I doing these demos together. We were kind of mucking around with a SQL Server we were sharing. This is a true story. And Buck goes, the heck with you, Bob. You're, I'm going to put it on a container. So a consistent container, cross-platform, works with Mac, Linux, Windows, um, you know, the great patching story with it, you don't patch it anymore, you just switch to it. So the number one story I go out of the gate with, besides just production, is have your developers use containers first for SQL Server. And I would say also the community's kind of told us they're starting to use that for a lot of demonstration purposes. It's so easy. Look at great. It's like, yeah, that's me there. But there is a story, still a story with uh, production, people using it in the Kubernetes environment. Azure Arc that you may have seen us announce and talk about uses SQL Server containers with other sets of containers in Kubernetes environments. Just saying that's a use case where we've done it, but you yourself could take kind of the same attack that we did 
And for example, one thing that I've seen come through with containers is to customize our image, add to our image with things you need in that container image that go with SQL Server, databases, scripts, what have you, and they'll go put that in production. One of the great stories is you don't have to patch these things anymore. With containers, you simply just bring in a new image, a new version of SQL with your things, stop one and switch to the other. So I do see customers use it in production, and there's a great usage case for it. Buck, do you want to? Yeah, the, the fast switchover is one of the things, just to be clear here. So you've got durable storage with master, all your MDFs, and you have a container connected to that storage. What Bob is talking about, say I've got 2019, and I actually just did this. Because being part of the preview, I got 2022, but I didn't install 2022 on my system. I've got so much stuff, right? I used to pollute my system with all these installations, then I got to tear them down. All I did was shut off my 2019 container, download the 2022 container, which just took a few minutes, turned it on, pointed it to that same storage, and I was back and running with all my demo databases. And I do development work. And so as a developer, this is just invaluable to be able to switch between these. I don't use instances anymore at all, unless I need the S's, the reporting services or analysis services or integration services. I just use containers for everything now. So it's not just us. Our, our customers are seeing this too. In some of the places where there's large dev shops, they'll say, well, you've got to install SQL Server Developer Edition for me. And I'm like, no, you don't. Here, run these three lines of code and you're done. And they're already very familiar with containers. They have a whole world of that on their desktop as they go now. So it's just great to pull down that image super quick, mount those databases, and I'm off and running, and switch back and forth. So it's it's just, it is a definite developer play. There's also a, an argument for production as well. There's no reason not to. And then the other thing is cross-platform. I use Ubuntu at home as my main box, and so I use it there because, you know, I can install SQL in seconds on a container. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I use durable storage, so you're gonna use volume mounts, and that's, that storage is somewhere durable on your hard drive. And then you have your, and that's just good practice anyway, right? But the difference would be a DevOps play there. So you can use Azure DevOps where the databases are with the container, okay, because you're just using DevOps to go spin up containers to do testing. I've done that scenario as well. Again, a pure development play. For production, you definitely want a persistent storage outside the container. Yeah, persistent storage is also a place to keep that test data, all of those sorts of things. You don't store data in containers. That's not what it's for. It's just a, it's sort of a mindset thing as well. But I, I'm also always concerned when you start talking about, you know, the dev and QA process using a different architecture than the production process. So that leads to unintended consequences. And uh, containers scale. Containers can run. It's like, it's just make sure you match the architecture to the need. Well, the only thing we found there, Richard, is that um, it's true. I want, I want my development environment to look as close to production as I can. But mm -hmm. that's 90% of the time. That isn't switches and, you know, is ANSI nulls turned on. That's, that's really not what I face with my devs. They want the database. Right. They want the actual production database a lot. And so I give them a fuzzed version or whatever so that they don't see the, the secret sauce. That's actually what they care about more. And this makes that easier because I can freeze a SAN, grab the MDF files, plop them down, turn on a container, and Bob's your uncle. And good go. Yeah, the idea that you fundamentally separate the storage part of databases with the engine part of databases. I think it's one of the nice things about containers. You can't blur those two lines. You will have, you will not do what you wanted to do. Kind of forces you down a good path. Ready for another question? All right. All right. So this is more around the area of business to business data sharing. And uh, Snowflake has the concept of like a marketplace and you could subscribe to data. Um, I think 
there used to be a marketplace in Azure where you could get some files and data and that seemed to go away. Is there any future changes or you know more state-of-the-art things on how you could share data business to business without ETL so you could subscribe and exchange data? So, so that would be Azure Data Share to be able to uh, create that. Now, the, the recipient for Azure Data Share needs to have an Azure account as well, but you can actually take a snapshot of a database. You could take a snapshot of Snaps. You could take a snapshot of a storage container. You could present that to them. And we have customers who are literally creating SaaS services off of taking data that they have for other customers and presenting it to them in Azure and being able to utilize that. If you're looking for data sets to be able to download, though, I would look at Azure Snaps Analytics Workspace. And in the workspace in the home section, if you go to that, that team spent a lot of time creating a lot of great templates and demos for SQL scripts, notebooks, pipelines. Um, and there's also, it will spin up dedicated SQL pools with all kinds of different data in it. There are open sets that we have for COVID data on blob storage that uh, you can get T-SQL scripts for serverless pools that will immediately be able to pull that data in. So we've got a lot of really great publicly accessible information, but also looking at that, Azure Data Share is exactly what you'd want to look at. Yeah, just to follow on from that, we've, we've got content up on Microsoft Learn for Azure Data Share and for Azure Synapse Analytics so that you can enjoy it at your leisure. And with that, I think we're out of time. A big hand for our panel. Thanks so much for helping us out. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.